my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? It will mean a lot if you rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. The way the algorithm works, the more you rate and say nice things, they'll introduce Black Tech Green Money to more people. And more of us need this content. So thank you for rating this podcast five stars today. You know, essentially what we've done is develop a platform technology that transforms your city into a smartphone so that deploying and managing infrastructure solutions like EV charging, like smart water systems, like all the things that you would need to avoid a lot of the death that we saw from, uh, from this storm. So doing that is as convenient as downloading and running an app on your phone. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm gonna introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. Special edition of Black Tech Green Money. It's a lunch table conversation with my friend Jessica O. Matthews, founder and CEO of Uncharted Power, an award-winning renewable power and sustainability company. This conversation was held during the Back to Black Innovators Digital Summit we had Afrotech through a bit ago, and I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Let's dive in. So I am pleased to um, introduce my friend here, who I lovingly call like the dopest scientist you're ever going to meet. And um, I'm going to give her um, a bio and then I'm going to ask her, like give her what her version of her own bio is. So uh, Jessica O. Matthews is founder and CEO of Uncharted Power, an award-winning renewable power and sustainability company now on the bleeding edge of creating uh, smart cities around the world. And the company was founded by Jessica when she was only 22 years old. 
big move, big queen move right there. Um, dual citizen of Nigeria and the U.S. Still that, still dual citizen. Yep. Still dual citizen. I mean, I don't Nigeria. know about the U.S. part for a while. But, you know, there was a time, there, there was, was a, a moment time. where if there was one of them I was going to give up, it was that one. But, you know, we, we looking good so far. Yeah, these, these are facts. These are facts. Um, she has a degree in psychology and economics from Harvard University, MBA from a, uh, HBS as well. Um, and it's listed over on 100 patents and patents pending. Just 12, 12, 12, 12. Oh, just, oh, 10, I'm sorry. I'm, okay, it's, it's 10. The one I had was 10. 10, 12 that's, that's now. 100 would be prolific and epic. But. Yes, yes. Or well, you on your way, because if anybody can do it, it's Jessica O'Matthew. So um, including her, her first invention was socket, which is an energy generating soccer ball. She did that 19 years old. I mean, what were you doing at 19? I know what I was doing. And it was not inventing energy producing soccer, generating soccer balls. But uh, list of accolades includes Fortune's most promising women entrepreneurs, Forbes 30 under 30, Inc. Magazine 30 under 30, and Harvard University Scientist of the Year, Jessica O'Mathy. How do, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, man. I say, hey, I'm Jess. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I mean, I do like to tell people that I'm trying to be like the love child of Beyonce and Bill Nye the Science Guy. I do like to say that because I feel like it's still whole, like if you just kind of pull it together. When I was younger, I was way more Bill Nye. Like Beyonce takes, Beyonce's the hard part. Beyonce's a hard <laughs> worker. <laughs> That's the hard part. Um, but yeah, kind of that vibe of how I move through and I, I approach things. Uh, so that's yeah. probably the quick one. I love that, love that, love that. So when I met you, it was just Uncharted Play. Yes. Um, and now it's uncharted power and you've gone yeah. from harnessing energy to creating power systems and now sustainability. Yes. Um, yes. What, what drove like the expansion of your scope? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I like to tell people that the first step in innovation is the articulation of the problem. The way that you've, you articulate that problem will then drive what you determine to be the solution. And so when I was 19 years old, you know, and I'm over here just knowing that stuff doesn't make sense. You know, I don't understand how my own family, cousins in Nigeria who are engineers themselves, they can't imagine a better world than the world that we're living in where we're losing power several times a day. Um, you know, and there were quite a few other infrastructural problems. Uh, and yet, you know, kind of the flip side is they always had a better cell phone than I did, right? So clearly, it, it, it's an issue that <clears throat> masqueraded as socioeconomic, but was really infrastructural. For me, I thought the issue was inspiration. I was like, they need to believe that they can change the world that they're in. They need to believe that they have agency. And so how do I design a solution that inspires them to try, to play the game, to get in the game, literally inspire them to get in the game. And so that's where the first products came from, energy generating play products, like taking the most popular sport in the world, soccer, and saying, all right, I'm gonna bridge the gap between this passion and excitement that I know my cousins, that I know a lot of people in the world are gonna have, and bring them across that bridge over to engaging in energy and infrastructure. And my assumption was that if I inspire them, they'll do the work, because, you know, oh, I'm sure they're smart enough and there are better people in the world who are better suited to be building infrastructure solutions. So. Let me just inspire. Get to the point where we're, you know, producing tens of thousands of these, partnering with different um, companies, you know, governments to distribute them more on an education side. Started to even work with different Fortune 100s on their 
energy generating um, strategies, right? Like energy generating strollers, all that stuff. That's when we met. I think you remember Afrotech. I'm like, okay, we're about to do the stroller suitcase. Um, and it was 2016, and two things happened. First, you know, I started to realize that it was still gonna take a couple of years. It takes two years to make any product for that's gonna, a baby's gonna be in. You can't just come up with some stuff. Like it yep. takes yep. years to go through that partnered R&D. And I was like, all right, this is kind of coming off a little kitschy. Like it's fun, it's cool, but I don't necessarily see people being inspired and in fixing the infrastructural problems. I just kind of see them, you know, getting excited, but then sitting there. And then the second thing that happened was that Donald Trump won the election. Dead ass, the most inspirational thing that ever happened to me was Donald Trump winning that election. Because prior to that, you know, people would say, oh, um, well, you know, were you inspired when Barack Obama was president? I was like, Barack Obama was a constitutional scholar. He's supposed to be president. Just because his black ass is president does not mean that I should be president. No. But when Trump won, I was like, okay, so now anybody can do it. And that was the yeah. first moment when I realized, I first of all, yes, I could be president. If this is what we're working with right now, I believe I'd be a good president, let's go. And then I turned to my team and I said, why are we waiting for other people to build infrastructure when fools like this are building infrastructure and running for president? Uh, and so at the end of 2016 is when we said, all right, what if we take this investment and instead of putting two to three years into kind of consumer products, we start looking at infrastructure. And in 2017 is when we formally changed our name from Uncharted Play to Uncharted Power based on the success we had in building um, an energy generating speed bump. What then happened, I again would not have expected. Um, we kept on working, <clears throat> built something that was pretty dope, um, compared and ran analyses. You know, we were beating out numbers of, you know, major uh, kinetic academics and Virginia Tech, beating out the numbers of competing companies in Boston, Singapore, brought our solution. We can actually, you would generate a kilowatt of power when you, when you drove over the speed bump. It was a precursor to energy generating roads, started to bring our solution to different governments. And the governments were excited about it, but they didn't really know how to scale it. At best, they were interested in maybe like a one-off pilot here or there. Yeah. And that's when we realized that the, the issue was much broader than just a new way to have decentralized energy generation for infrastructure. The issue was the, the lack of a platform to actually, to actually deploy and manage this infrastructure. So the cities were like, this is cool, but how do I make this work in this silo when I got to work with the grid in this way, I got to work in solar here. And there was nobody who was saying, how do you bring it together? It, it was almost like, <clears throat> It was almost like we were all trying to be chefs making a meal at a buffet. But then when someone comes and says, yeah, this is dope. Okay, yeah, I want to eat it. Where's the tray? Oh, we don't have those here. Where's the plate? Oh, we don't have those here. All right, so how do you want me to sustainably gather all these things together and bring it back to my table to eat it? That's not my problem. Or do it in a really expensive way. And so we realized that that's how we were being viewed. So we said, okay, kind of like how Stacey Abrams, all right, Voting doesn't work in Georgia for me. I'm gonna fix the voting system so I can run for governor. That's, that's basically right. how that's that's the classic black women vibe. I was like, all right, I want to get my application out. So I'm gonna go ahead and fix the the way that all applications get deployed and managed sustainably. 
Like, and then I, that way I can deploy my stuff. And so that's what brought us to building these sustainable smart city platforms where we're consistently dry, looking at how do we drive down the cost, the upfront costs, reduce the time to deploy, reduce the time to repair and take away all the stress that mm -hmm. a city has in deploying and managing things like our energy generating speed bumps, but what we've done is 5G, AI, smart city lighting, traffic lighting, everything. And so into a smart you take a city like, like so Houston, you know, or take a, and managing what's going on in Texas in general, infrastructure solutions, um, like EV you know, charging, what's interesting for us like smart water systems, like all the things that you would need to avoid a lot of the death that we saw from, from this storm. So doing that is as convenient as downloading and running an app on your phone. Um, so now when we think about the past apps we've made, we're excited because once this platform is out there and people have the smartphone, which which we're gonna be putting out this year um, in a couple of our beta cities, yeah. then we get, every, now you get that kind of unprecedented, unpredictable thing that happened with smartphones, right? No one no one knew the value 20, 25 years ago, but now we can't live without it. Right. We're excited for people to start playing around with that. So that's that's the arc. That's how I got from soccer balls to our <laughs> city platforms. No, I, I love it. And I wanna spend some time in a few minutes talking about the more the mentality it takes to do the, the scale of things that you're doing, but I'm gonna start mm. here. Um, there was a quote I found from you that said, after nearly a decade of work, we realized that the problem isn't just a lack of smart power infrastructure. And so I kind of see like um, what you're doing now is like, it's not micro pivots, but it's like the problem reveals itself, right? When yeah. you get started, can you talk about how you, you just gave us the arc, but how when you get started on the road as an innovator, you may think the problem is X, but it's actually Y. Well, you're becoming my favorite person to talk to because that's, thank you for these questions. Um, I will say this, one thing that hasn't changed has been my true North. From the jump, the mission has always been, how do we get to a world where there's universal access to smart, sustainable infrastructure, right? How do we get to a world where the things that some people take for granted and other people are dying literally without. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense, right? And I think for me, the the year after the the wedding that a lot of people kind of know about, right? That led to my first invention. The, it wasn't like I went to my aunt's wedding, we lost power. And then there was uh, an invention of a energy generating soccer ball. That year, uh, there were three people in my family, my grandfather, my uncle, and my aunt all of them died and they all passed away from things that either could have been at least delayed if not totally avoided um, if they had access to this infrastructure that we take for granted. And so that was the thing that made me kind of align and say, all right, you know, I, I like, I often tell people like intersectionality is a compass. And when you think about all the things that make you who you are and all of your experiences, that's something like, if you look at the intersection of that, the nexus point of that is what you should be doing with your life period point, like that's it. And so what I found at that nexus point for me was like trying to address this problem. Like I, I literally remember thinking I was in my AP psychology class, high school year, 18 years old, right before all this thinking, I know I can't cure death, but can I cure life? Because mm -hmm. what's messing with oh. me more than anything, honestly, like is <laughs> it's not just the fact that they passed in a way that could have been avoided. 
It's that most likely when they took their last breath, they thought the same thing that my cousins, you know, in Nigeria thought, which was, we have no agency. We can't change this. The best way to deal with your problems is just to get used to dying. And so like that broke my heart. That seemed ridiculous. Like I refuse to accept it. Like it is truly the thing that made me say, all right, so how do I then start to think how I could bridge the gap and yada, yada, yada. So then once I had that true North, everything just becomes kind of like a meditation on intention and impact. So first, listen, I'm young, 19, 20, I'm thinking the issue is inspiration. I'm approaching it. I had opportunities to be in the business of just making millions of soccer balls. Yeah. I had like, I had that. In fact, the people wanted that. But so the, if I'm seeing that it's not actually resulting in what I want, and in fact, it's just more plastic, more this, more that, and it's not necessarily fixing the bigger issue because you, then what's, what's up? Um, like I didn't get into this just because, oh, look, I can say I made, you know, this, it's like, this was step one, but my intention, what's my intention? My intention is to fix this infrastructural issue. And if it's not happening just through inspiration, then what's happening? So then I'm thinking, oh, maybe there needs to be an infrastructure model for decentralized energy. I thought that that was the issue that people can conceptualize a world where we didn't have centralized infrastructure systems built a system. There you go. Then you get there and you realize, no, it's bigger than that. It's not just about decentralized energy. This is about the lack of a platform to actually pull it all together, to get all these disparate decentralized infrastructure solutions interoperating together. Yes. And again, like, like for me, I was like, of course, like in as much as this speed bump is still sexy and fun, I have a goal. I have a goal because this is a life or death situation for me personally. Um, and now even bigger, I, you know, I got engaged last year. And so I'm, go I'm gonna be getting married in Nigeria, big Nigerian yeah. wedding in March, 2022. And if you think they go, I'm gonna let these people bring a diesel generator out <laughs> after everything I've done said for the last decade, 13 years, well, listen, so I'm out here like, listen, y'all, all right, get it together. All right, so, 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 so. I love it. This is the, like, I, I'm real big on drink your own medicine. Like the first parts of our system we installed, you know, at a facility where my own mom and brother would like, you know, be driving over it, et cetera. Like I am a hundred percent bringing this platform to Nigeria. And the first place y'all going to see it is at my wedding. <laughs> at, and I'm going to be like, mm, you smell that air? You smell that fresh air? You like that? <laughs> Look at all the shit we're That's that new new. That's that new new right there. I'm about to be like, I'm like, uh uh, y'all. Mm -mm -mm -mm. This I don't care what's up. So it's it's personal, right? And I think yeah. I think if you know why you're doing it and you are I think fully understanding that just because it's not your plan doesn't mean it's it's like not gonna be your destiny is something I say a lot. Ooh, um see. you 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 just gotta be really uncompromising with your mission, but then flexible with everything that takes you there. And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balance, but I, I think that the rubric is know why you're doing it. That's the thing that, that's the, know why you're doing this, know what you intend for this to be and, and find ways to continuously bring yourself back to that, that why. So I'm, I'm so glad you said you, you ended on that because so many people want to start a business um, may not know what idea to pursue what idea they can mm -hmm. you know create value with for others and up shows that ideas are literally all around you 
um, how and problems are literally all around you that you could solve even how do you by more than just your representation get us to look around us for the problems that we could solve that's a really good question um so we do have that's we do have a program at the company because this is something we actually want to operationalize um you know, in the early days, I, I truly believe that almost anyone could be an inventor. They just had to be given the kind of right psychological tools. Uh, I, I still very much believe that the problems of this world are entirely too complex, complicated for any one person or organization to solve. And so our best chance in hell, especially with the damn near, you know, end of days that it seems like in the world right now with everything going on with the locusts still, and this and that. Still. Yes. Still, like it's scary. It's it's a scary time. We need as many people as possible believing that they can make a difference. Because even if it's just one out of every one hundred thousand people doing something that really changes where we're at, that's better than what we have right now, which is you know a small group of people who basically all think the same thing, who think that they're the only ones that are worth getting their big idea funded, right, and pushing forward. And so. For, for us, that meant developing a program that uh, we call Uplift. And, and what we did is we created a curriculum. Uh, and it's actually a curriculum now that's gone through its like fourth version. We digitized it during COVID and we still reach like lots of kids uh, through, through digital means. Um, and basically we have a curriculum called Think Out of Bounds that teaches kids how to become social inventors. How, and literally it goes through the process of teaching them what it means to be an inventor give some examples of inventors that look like them uh, and teaches them how to look at their surroundings, not as obstacles, but as opportunities. So let's make a list of all the problems you have. And now let's come up, how would you think about inventing something to solve that? Uh, and so that's that's a program we like to do wherever we're about to work, um, you know, Poughkeepsie, where we're, where we're working mm -hmm. on some exciting things to, to demonstrate how a, a normal city, you're not even one of the big, you know, quote unquote, sexy ones, like a normal city, most cities are like Poughkeepsie, how they could use our smartphone to choose the apps that are going to transform their city into a smart, sustainable uh, city in record time and under budget. Um, you know, before we we do all that, we want to make sure that the people in that city feel prepared for that opportunity, right? Like, yeah, they need to they need to understand the power in their hands when you when we give them this this platform. And so we've done already almost two hundred kids um, in partnership with the the city school district. Uh, we're getting ready to do like a little um, like invention a thon with some of the kids, and it's. It's it's dope, right? It's it's focused, you know. It's authentic. It's not like the the broadest scale stuff, but it's something that we've done in Swaziland, Bronx, Harlem, like you name it. Um, if we've worked there, we've we've added that component, and um, you know we've seen an actual statistical improvement in creative confidence. Like like you ask the kids beforehand, do my ideas matter, and you ask them after. And it's it's a it's a maybe to an increase, and and that that's one of the things that we do structurally. Uh, I think as an organization. So I hear you when you, and I love that example because I I want to push you a little further down that line because the SBA put out a study. I think it was 2012 was the last time that they did it, but it said 80 percent of Black-owned businesses are in the bottom 20 percent for revenue. Like so, we over-index on creating service worker, you know, so we, lawn care and beauty shops and 
you know, diners. And, but we, so 80% of our businesses are created in those, the bottom 20% of industries for, for revenue. Um, but the work you're doing is industry reimagining, like blow, it's a trillion dollar market, you know, and, and what you're doing with sustainability. Um, are we thinking big enough? Just, I mean, black people, are we thinking mm -hmm. big enough? You know, it's a two-sided street, right? So on one hand, you know, you, you, you innovate on what you know, right? And it took me a decade to get to the point of knowing enough where I could be in any room with anybody. I don't care who they think they are. I'll sit down right there with Bill Gates and be like, listen, Bill, what you just said is super cute, but this is what I know because I just spent the last decade doing this. Um, and so, and it took digging, like I said, like I had to get to layers of understanding uh, the, the problem. Um, and so I, I think a lot of it's like we, you, you approach what's right in front of you and then you run, you run on that. Um, <clears throat> I, I do also think that we, it's, it's a nuanced thing. So I'll give you an example of what's happening right now. Um, we have, you know, we have, I have brilliant CTO, started his year, black man, which it took me so long to find. I, I didn't hire him because he was black. I hired him because he's brilliant. I hired him because he's brilliant. Just, you know, listen, just, but just happens to be a black man. Um, you know, started his career a year after I was born, like, you know, Compton, raised army, but like his, literally like part of the teams, when people think about their smart meters that are on their homes, part of the team that led that, like helped one company uh, build up a product line in the smart grid space that uh, like already brought the 15 million in revenue, you know, before, without a sales team, 300 million in revenue. Once they got the sales team, they IPO'd, they still bring him for consulting, went to another company that he, he built their initial system and they sold to Verizon. You know, his, he's advised on how 45 different smart cities in the country have, how they build their smart cities low key dude that like gets this stuff done. The person who's doing our edge cloud was cloud, was literally Oracle's chief cloud architect. Now he's mine. That's a white guy, <laughs> but he's legit, super legit. You know, we have really, really like, yo, we pulled together, like the people who built the underlying technology that we have gotten comfortable with, that we take for granted. As soon as COVID hit, I was able to pull them for wherever they are. Cause I'm like, now you don't have to be in Harlem, just come here, yeah. it's signed on and it's dope, but still, well, here's what I face, right? So now we walk into a, a virtual room and I'm like telling someone, this is what we do. This is how much we need. This is how we're gonna, this is where we're demonstrating it. What I face that's really interesting is in other situations, if I was a white male founder, people would be comfortable with the fact that they will never understand the tech. Who knows how the internet works? Who knows how your phone knows? You don't, you, no one can break down how the phone works, but you know the value it brings you. But when I'm there saying it, they have to, they now have to find a place in their head where they have to sit and say, this black girl understands something technologically that I don't. She is so clearly, obviously above me in this. And that's something that they've been getting, I've been seeing people get uncomfortable with. Like they refuse to say, you know what? I'm never going to understand this, but I understand value. They're like, I, there's a game where they're like, how, like, and it's multiple things happening. It's the race and the gender. And they're sitting here like, all right, well, explain this. Then Bill starts talking. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, why are you asking Bill? Bill is about to say shit even more technical than me. I barely understand the acronyms Bill's saying. Bill's talking about all these IPX6777 standards, all this different shit, yeah, talking about all yeah. this stuff. I don't get it. I just learned what a fiber pop was. Like, 
And right. I'm sitting there like, don't ask him this, but they're still trying because they're seeing him. They're seeing a brother. Oh, and I'm like, if your due diligence, instead of it to understand like the mat, the 30 to $40 trillion industry that we're a first mover in, specifically with smart city platforms, if your due diligence is not to go ahead and talk to the people who were delivering value to, but your due diligence is to try to be on our level with the technology, <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to wait for you to go to DeVry before you before you can give me money. And so on one hand, we're now thinking so big, like hey. play this out, right? If I tell you dead ass my solution i have a smart paver that's like a, that has the ubiquity of a phone anywhere that there's ground i can install it the same way a smartphone delivers power communications and data processing to applications that's what my paver does i have an edge cloud that uses ai and machine learning the same way your operating system uses edge uses uh, ai and machine learning to run your apps every app that you can imagine and the unprecedented unimaginable value of your phone is what my platform enables they also now have to sit here and say, it's beyond thinking big. We have to then ask ourselves, are the people who are hearing this ready to have black people yeah. have that kind of power? TBD, T TBD on yeah. that. And like, and I, the way the way I've seen it, I think is like, we as a community can only do so much though. We only have so many dollars for these really big ideas. We, we've got to figure out how we tap into the non-black dollars to to finance the ideas that are going to disrupt everything in the entire world um and it's it's listen it's it's not that it's not possible so i do think we need to think big but it is a harder sell because even if you have all the proof points now their issue is there there's there's sometimes there's some discomfort not always to some of the people yeah. we've been playing with so I think it's a two-sided street. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on Earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 Million Black Businesses 
by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about like, like more of your mentality because some people will look at you and say, I could never do it, but they, they, they forget that you wake up every day just like they did. And, you know, there was a day where you weren't doing this and you got on the journey to doing it. And now today you are who you are and next year you'll be even bigger. Talk to me about one of those early leaps of faith that you took as an innovator that could have been really humbling, um, but it put you on the path. Like an early, just complete leap of faith that I don't know if this is going to work but I'm taking a shot on me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so there, I feel like a big part of the job is constantly doing risk analyses on like, you know, in real time and making decisions that are all incredibly risky in some way. Um, I think, I mean, just within the come because it's coming up on the anniversary i remember making the decision to shut down the office and become a remote working team despite the fact that part of our solution is hardware and people couldn't go in and do hardware but when when covid was kind of coming in um it was i think march 9th i i'd gone on my last business trip and i was uh, actually going to toronto to uh <laughs> to go and take a look at sidewalk labs and that's when i was just like no shade but i was like oh i was like oh y'all shit's janky i was like yeah i said it google come find me like whatever like uh but i looked and i was like all right like i was like okay this is cool um we should work together like we have better stuff but anyway don't whatever that's good is so on the way back and noticed that no one was on any planes march 10th comes and uh the mayor, uh, de Blasio says, if you can, you should, you know, work from home. And I immediately had to think, okay, what to do. And I had to, I had to act quickly. And I felt really, you know, ultimately in that moment, I made the decision, sent an email, hey, everyone gather what you need to gather today, because March 11th is the last day. I'm not, no one's in March, no one's in. Um, And that ended up being the last time that most people ended up going to our Harlem HQ. Um, and so that, that was a risk for a lot of reasons. Cause we didn't know a lot about the pandemic. We didn't know a lot about the virus. Um, you know, we 
had just launched into some new KPIs that we were just doing okay on, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I don't know if these people, as my dad would say, are just trading on, you know, on E-Trade or whatever when no one's there. Like, you don't know. Like, I used to think that you had to be in the office in Harlem yeah. to get the vibe and get things done. And yet I had to immediately say, I'm still going to pay you, but, yeah. I, but go ahead and do whatever and all these different things. Um, and like, that was a risk. That, and I had to be very clear. There were a lot of people who were slow to make the move for the health of their, their people. Um, but I mean, I think in those moments, I, I, I think back to track. So I was really big in track in high school. One, two, 400 long jump. In the, in the races that were kind of more like local, regional, I was, the ones and twos, I could kill it. As soon as we started racing against like the serious Jamaicans, I was mostly just a four runner, like 400 meter. You know what I'm saying? Cause I'm Nigerian, like that's where we at. Like that's where we can kill it. I was, I'm fast. I'm just not Jamaican fast. There's just- You gotta different. know where you at. You know, yeah, I know where I'm at. Listen, local level, I'm about to kill it. As soon as I see some bobsled stuff, I'm like, all right, all right, cool. All right, let me go to a 400 meter. So, uh, <laughs> And, but so much of, hey. so much of how I think about these things kind of applies to different times when I, I played different sports. And, you know, the, the thing about track was you, the reason why you practice was not so that you would have your perfect race the day of the race. It's so that your worst day still beat everybody else. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like, okay, okay, I'm gonna make sure I get this start so that I hope that I get it. It's like, even if I start as shit, like, I'm just, even if this is my worst time, my worst time is still going to smoke y'all. And I feel so much of the moments, like even the last year, I had been training for them. I had been training for innovation and, and progress during times of uncertainty for the last like eight or nine years. Yeah. So that when it came to the moment within the layer and kind of, of COVID, I was just like, all right, uncertainty, what's new? I'm a black female founder. Let's... I gotta move, I gotta do this, well, I gotta do that. Oh, how many deals fell through? We had like seven, like three or $4 million real pilot deals, resorts fell through. All right, like what's new? Like, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of it again, from the perspective of being a founder of color um, and seeing, yes, lots of obstacles, but the opportunity, I felt it as if for most of my career, I had been training with 50 pound weights. Whereas like a lot of my white male, white male peers, especially have been training with 10 pound weights. So yeah, they could run fast, like it, it all looked easier, but yeah. when COVID hit and a hundred pounds got thrown into our hands, who do you think is gonna do better? Who do you think is gonna like handle this? And so, you know, those, those little moments happened quite a bit. Um, and I had to make a lot of quick decisions to keep my team paid, to yeah. be in a position where we didn't have to furlough anyone, to make a decision how we could grow. and. Um, I, I'm not going to say that I had some master strategy around it other than to lead with honesty, lead with authenticity and be very contextual. So make, creating space for humanity and aligning everyone's personal experience to what we were doing. But um, I feel like very fortunately, a lot of the risks paid off because uh, we're in a really good position right now and uh, yeah. still, still a hard uh, uphill battle, but very, very exciting. There's some really good lessons in there. So, I mean, you talked about COVID and um, and to be super sensitive to what people are going through personally, but how how much has COVID 
created opportunity for black people in industries like sustainability? Like, has it created more space for us? Like, what are the benefits? You know, and I use that word very sensitively, but I know what are the benefits that COVID has created for us in industries like this? Well, first of all, I just want to say you're very good at what you do. This is the best you are. Will, go ahead, man. Shit. That's, that's, you. you need to, you need a show. You need, <laughs> you need to be on TV. Like, you need to be like, Oprah, like, I don't know what this is, but there's a bunch of fools who are not cutting it. Like, the way you do it. Just, just point it out there. Can we make that happen, y'all? Um, Thank you. That's a really, uh, okay. Last year for me, it felt more just like an additional layer of fire. So first there was a period, I think from May to September, end of May, end of May going definitely then there was like Juneteenth and July, but I would say, yeah, kind of May through July when it was just like, I think almost every black person I knew was like, we are tired and just everyone get the fuck away from us. Like, like leave us alone, we're tired. And so it felt more just about, I think self, like trying to figure out self-care, trying to figure out what kind of catharsis you would need, which I think was important because we were going through a lot. Our families were getting hit more. Um, our, we, we, it, it felt very real. And I use it as a fire for myself because I knew, okay, as a black person, look at many more people who look like me are getting this. Um, no one in my, on my side of the family, but my fiance side of the family, being in the South, you know, working in different jobs where they can't stay home. A lot of them got it. Um, uh, you know, th- that's just straight up what it, what it is. Um, so it felt like a fire for me personally to say, okay, a lot of the things that were cracks now became valleys, right. In terms of the problems like COVID just like it, it exasperated everything. What can we do? Like it, it broke my heart that like, even in Poughkeepsie, a quarter of the kids could not continue to go to school because they didn't have access to internet. And all of those kids were black. Like it, what, there's like there's a north side and there's a south side, and the north side kids are the ones experienced this. So this is and like these kids are dropping out. Like this was straight up season four of the wire shit happening. Like no exaggeration. Um, and so that was that was a push there. I think more macro now as we come into 2021, and uh, and there's like a, a sense of some stability. I I say that very cautiously. Mm -hmm. To me, the opportunity is to go back to the definition of entrepreneurship. In my opinion, entrepreneurship is, uh, and this, I did not like someone, people say this, but I agree. This is also my opinion, I should say. That um, entrepreneurship is problem solving without regard for resource. That's all it is. At your core, the first problem that you articulate to solve most authentically is usually your problem. And so like, you know, I I say the joke, but it's a fact, like Mark Zuckerberg couldn't get a date. So that's what's his problem. And look what he did. Like, and again, it started as one way and then it evolved. I had a problem and I expanded into an infrastructure uh, in a a play company. Um, And so I think a lot of people now, once you've found a way to stabilize and kind of work with this new normal, you got to ask yourself, are you going to take it? Are you going to make it? Like, are you, is this, is this the norm? Is this the world you want to accept? Or do you want to see what you can do? Because 
yeah, the reality of the situation is we can't hope for some like saving grace solution from the top down. We shouldn't, we shouldn't. There's no, there's no fun in that either. And so I do think there's an opportunity because oftentimes if you want to design something well, you need to design for the extremes. And if black people have experienced the extremes of the last 12 months, we are in the best position to design something that's gonna make the lives better, not just for us, but for everybody. Um, but the resources have to get there too. Like there are a lot of things that are getting funded that are interesting since we're still all sitting in our houses waiting for vaccines. Like yeah. I, know, I know black chemists that had ideas on how to improve the testing situation, but they, they're in Mississippi, how are they gonna get any money? Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, so that's my perspective, I think on the opportunity that we have so to speak. There's a, another quote I found from you. It says, any fully baked solution needs to truly contemplate the expected response of governments and finance institutions, including so that this work, this can work for communities that don't have the capital. Mm -hmm. um, and when you said that you were talking about the industry, in energy industry, but I see impacts in other industries where we try to make massive disruptions, right? And so how much should entrepreneurs be thinking about policy and how do we get legislators and bureaucrats to more fully embrace the entrepreneurial spirit? Ooh, two tough questions. Um, well, second one's tough. First one, not, not super crazy, so I'll start there. Um, the more dynamic and complicated the problem, usually the more you're going to see that it's not just some new technological or business model innovation, you are going to need to think through the role that the government policy and the people who are financing this like play. So there's a bit of a triangle that you you need to be aware of. Um, sometimes you can streamline things just straight kind of B to C and, and go from there uh, and then and, and build. But you know, a lot of our infrastructure is uh, is a public service yeah. right so yeah. there's a little bit of like a tragedy of the commons that makes things complicated um it doesn't mean it's critical but if you're doing something that impacts the public good uh you know take airbnb take you know like uber after a while you will be even if you're like oh we just did what we had to do someone's going to catch up to you and say, well, you didn't ask permission. So right. we gonna start fucking with your shit. Like, so, right, you know, right. there needs to be an awareness of it, but that, there's nothing wrong with that happening that way too. get in. However, you're going to get in, um, you know, for us, you know, whether it's energy or broader infrastructure, because we're dealing with things that also have high, um, that can be highly dangerous. That's part of why we have to just move at a certain pace because I'm not going to put, you know, 12 KV in the ground under grandma, and just say, well, you know, oopsie doopsie, <laughs> like, like that's not what, like, like that's not like I gotta, I gotta crawl because I'm dealing with power, uh, and like I'm not trying to be out here with anyone's life on my conscience because I, you know, you know, move fast and break things. Like it's not. <laughs> Yeah, that's works. not that's not it what that that's not it like there's life or death consequences which there's a whole argument to be made that even the things that didn't seem as dangerous like social media probably you know it would have been helpful if they thought about it just a little bit um you know now we're seeing that these days we're seeing it exactly yeah, right yeah. now now on the other side of like how you get the government's to play and even the financiers who are often very risk averse are like, this is what works, we just wanna do this. I can just share what we've been trying to do. Um, 
So one, you know, has been aligning what we're doing, not with why we think it's cool, but why it matters to them. Most governments care about two things, political optics and financial efficiency. So mm -hmm. if you can present something in a way that's gonna make them look good for their political goals and do so in a way that does either doesn't cost them any money or um, cost them less money than what they would have spent, you're gonna get in there usually for some sort of pilot or something, because wh why not? Once they've established that they care about the third big thing, which is time to deploy. Cause they, you know, time, people only have so long that they're in office. And so they That's want right. to be able to brag on that for as long as That's they right. can. And you have, so they want to make sure you can move quickly and that's, that's tough, but operationalizing around that um, is, is a big deal. It, it's part of the reason why we think time to deploy is so massive for our platform. The faster, you know, we want to get to the point where we can get infrastructure solutions deployed in communities in three to six weeks. It normally takes nine months, right? Wow. So that's that's a, a massive thing so that people can kind of get that, that rush around it. Um, and then on the financing side, honestly, as, as soon as you start showing that you can make money, they'll come they're not they ain't tripping like they just they're they're they 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 just oh you making money all right let me let me let me give you some you money to make no that. money yeah. that's that's just what it is um you you talk a lot about being um or how being a black woman doing this work black woman in harlem you know specifically um is an asset to an industry like this even one that they may not realize is, is an asset to the industry like this and um, that we can do more than people might want to let a, let on that we can do. Um, what is it that we per, uniquely bring to industries that we are not overrepresented in value-wise if we were to lean into our perspective? Ooh. All... Define our magic for us. Like, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, so all I can say is just my personal experience. I spend a lot of my career wondering why me or thinking, of course, not me. I assumed that there were people who are better suited to be doing what I'm doing right now. And it took a long time for me to get to the point in realizing that that, that couldn't have been farther from the case. Um, there are things that are coming up now like when we go deep into competitive analysis and, and we look at, you know, why is it that we can deliver something that Cisco couldn't, that Nokia couldn't, um, you know, that Google couldn't. Like I say their names low because like, it's kind of wild, right? Like these guys yeah. are not, they know they're not slouches. And when you look at the things that differentiate how I came to this point from how they came to the point, you realize that so many things that make you who you are and gave you that perspective are exactly the missing piece. Because let's face it, we wouldn't be living in a world where Texas could have happened if they had it, if they had it covered. Right. Um, and so for me, you know, there's, there's little things like our ability to kind of be this missing link between the smart grid and the smart city. If, you've, if your upbringing was such that you took the grid and power for granted, you would start innovating from the point of assuming that that was fine and you would start innovating on top of that. Just the fact that I was coming from the perspective of like, no, it's not, because I'm thinking about my own family, um, automatically gave us a competitive advantage because I was thinking about a system that they couldn't even fathom didn't, wouldn't exist. But I was like, yeah. no, nah, this shit's janky because it can't scale. Like, but that was only me thinking that. 
now to oh and right now everyone's finally talking about the the infrastructure around transmission lines i was saying that to ceos and chairmen of utilities three years ago why because like we had the experience of trying to scale a speed bump and integrate it into the grid and it didn't work it didn't make any sense and it was the fault of the grid and off the record not off the record for you but like these people yeah. said hey jess off the record yeah we know this was always the thing that you know worked so we didn't invest any r d in it but yeah we know this is bad and I, that was back in 2018 and i was like oh okay so now, now, now I for real know something's up. Um, when we when we look at from a platform perspective, the things that we're doing to drive ad adoption, you know, it's really understanding engagement, My, knowing that people would be able to understand a whole new type of energy if I packaged it in a soccer ball, is why our platform. Is going to be accepted and scaled and understood in a way that all these other platforms couldn't and so all of that you know it's it's not just about being like you know like black or whatever as much as it's about saying who are you and what's the life that you have lived um and if everybody in the room right now has basically had the same life just by the fact that you are leaning into who what makes you different that's most likely if we're still sitting here in 2021, that's probably the missing piece. That's probably the thing that, that, that we've been waiting for. Um, and so that's, that's why this is exciting. We've been left out for so long, right? Like it's, it's almost like they're trying to cook something in the kitchen. They ain't got no butter. And we out here just buttery, just buttery as hell. Just like, just sitting here like, ah, all right. And then we come in there and they're like, all right, we got this, this vanilla, we got this. And you're like, but do you have the butter? Right. And now right. something that would be as like hard as a board is delicious shortbread. Yeah. That that's how I feel. I feel like I feel like we we have an often ignored experience that is the missing ingredient in what we need for the world that we all want. Jessica Old Matthews, so proud of you, my friend. Uh, endlessly you inspiring. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. This was awesome. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Raven Airborne. Special thank you to Micah Davis and Sakar Zivanyan, you know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Go get your money. Peace and love.
State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine.